We're excited that you have chosen to share the morning with us here at Pathway Church and uh, just excited about what God is doing, not only in our church, but in our community. And uh, we look forward to just all that God wants to do uh, really in our lives today. I hope you sensed his presence. It's been uh, a real thing. And, and now for us to be able to study his word is, a, is an awesome opportunity. I wrote two, two phrases um, as I was putting my notes in my binder this week. I wrote two phrases at the top of, of my notes right there. And um, I was showing you this prove that I really wrote them. And um, just so you believe me, right? Um, and, and the two phrases are ready to learn, ready for change. And I, that's the way I feel today. I feel like what we're going to talk, talk about and take a look at in scripture um, is really going to be challenging to a lot of us. And yet at the same time, I think there's change that needs to come into our lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to learn. So tell somebody around you, I'm ready to learn. Come on, tell them I'm ready to learn today. I believe that. I am. God gathered, or Jesus rather, gathered his closest 12 followers in this small room. I already talked about this earlier. And they are simply having dinner together. And Jesus and his closest followers are involved in this conversation. There's a lot of things that's going to change in the next 12 hours for Jesus. So he tells them what's important. He begins to tell them what they need to hear. And what's recorded in John 14 through 16 is Jesus' up-close and personal conversation with his closest followers. And we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. Jesus tells his followers in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He is, read this with me, the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. This is what we've been talking about. We're coming in on the, the, really the end of our series uh, um, in the next couple of weeks, but this is part seven of this series. And so if this is your first time with us or if you haven't been here for a while, um, this is an opportunity for you to kind of slide in toward the tail end of what we've been talking about. And I would encourage you back up on our podcast through uh, Apple iTunes or Google Play and catch up and, and really see what God has, where God has been taking us as a congregation. So, but over the last six weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit to gain a better understanding of who he is and, and what he wants to do in our lives. And that's what we've been talking about and learning. And in this same conversation, later on in John 16, Jesus says this, I am going away to the one who sent me, but it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit, okay, we already saw that. The advocate won't come. If I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Notice this. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. I want you to circle word. Hopefully you've got an outline in front of you. It's in the brochure that you were given as you came in. Um, you could follow along on the screens as well, but I'm going to have you do some things on the outline that'll just help you to remember. I want you to circle the word convict. Say that word with me, convict. Circle it on your outline. It's an interesting word. It's translated from a Greek word. If you don't know, the, the New Testament was originally written um, in Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, but uh, it was then um, translated or transliterated into English for us so that we could understand it and read it. I don't know about you, but I don't read fluent Greek or Aramaic, and so I would be lost if it wasn't in English. And so it's translated in English for us, and this, this Greek word is an interesting word. What it means is to expose with solid evidence. Sounds like a courtroom, doesn't it? That's exactly what it's supposed to sound like. 
Because in this day, it was the idea of proving someone guilty in a courtroom, in a trial, where the prosecuting attorney argues the case. And, and the prosecutor piles up evidence against the defendant, fact upon fact upon fact upon fact, until the evidence is so overwhelming that the judge is forced to say, I find you guilty beyond doubt. In fact, even more so, the evidence is so overwhelming, they amass so much evidence against the person that it even causes the defendant to say, I, I confess, I confess, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is not simply to make us feel bad about sinning. The Holy Spirit brings men and women to a point of conviction in their life where we admit, I'm guilty. I've done this. Guilt before God. The proof is in. The trial is over. The verdict is, you're guilty. I'm guilty. Look what it says. Jesus says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will what? Convict the world of its sin and of righteousness and of the coming judgment. And sadly, we read this passage and most of us read it and think, yep, that's right, Bart, you're right, bring it. He, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna make sinners feel guilty and then he's gonna tell them that they're going to hell. I have a funny story about this. My wife and I um, were celebrating, I believe it was an anniversary, it's years ago, because been, we've been married um, 34 years. And so it was in Los Gatos, um, and we were at a, at a pretty nice restaurant. I took her for, I think it was an anniversary. And anyway, what I remember is outside the restaurant more than anything, um, we're walking up to this really nice restaurant. And if you know Los Gatos, it's a pretty ritzy area. And, and so we're walking in, and here's a guy that is dragging with wheels, dragging a wooden cross. The cross is probably about eight feet. He made it out of these two beams, and he's rolling it. He's not even carrying it. He's rolling it, okay? And he's rolling it down the street, and he's yelling at everybody going into these restaurants, repent, you're going to hell! Hmm. This is what we think when we read this passage, that the Holy Spirit's gonna come in and it's going to make us feel so guilty, make sinners feel so guilty, and remind them that they're going to hell. And it's true. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings this realization. We already talked about conviction. No one will ever repent. Listen, no one will ever believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit working in his or her life. Only when the Holy Spirit moves will someone become aware of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says in John 3, in a conversation he had, he says the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And so we, we can see that the Holy Spirit has to work in a person's life or they can never experience the spiritual life, the life in Jesus. They can never experience Jesus. No one can repent and believe on their own apart from the Holy Spirit. So yes, we know that that's the Holy Spirit's work, but that's not the point. That's not the point that Jesus is making. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Look at it again with me. And I want you to notice a key word. Jesus says, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to who? You. 
Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the world at that point? No, we already established. Jesus was talking to his closest followers. He was talking to his disciples. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit isn't coming to the world. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to Jesus' followers. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to the church. If you're a follower in this room, he's sending the Holy Spirit to you. Wow. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, you're listening in on a conversation that Jesus wants to have with his followers. And if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you need to listen to what Jesus is saying to you today. Because he desires to send the Holy Spirit into your life. I mean, back in John 14, look at what Jesus says. He is the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. So don't miss this. The world is not able to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not coming for the world. The Holy Spirit comes for the church, for us, for followers. Look what Jesus says. But you, you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Wow. So the world... When, when the world looks at Jesus' followers in the church, the world should see three things. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. If the world around us does not see these three things, we are Jesus' followers who are not filled with and being used by the Spirit of God. Did you hear me? If the world does not see these three things, the church is not operating in the way that Jesus intends for it to operate. Look at it again. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world of its, what's that word? Sin. Now, how many of you know it's not easy to do this? No one likes to be told that they're wrong. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, I know something about you. Come on, come on, tell them. I know something about you. You don't like to be told you're wrong, right? It's the truth. None of us like to be told we're wrong. I mean, (laughs) that's exactly what's going on here. People will admit that they have done things wrong from time to time. They'll admit that maybe they've made a mistake every once in a while. But man, getting men and women, getting us to admit that we are sinners is an impossible task. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. But not just general sin. He specifies in verse 9. Look at it. Jesus says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus points to a very specific sin. Some call it the worst sin of all. It's the sin of refusing to believe in Jesus. But here's the kicker. People don't see that as a sin. In our world, they see it as a choice. I mean, think about it. Today, people say, well, we believe in tolerance, we believe in diversity, we believe in pluralism. You may choose Jesus, but that doesn't work for me. That's your way, but that's not my way of thinking. You've got your way, I've got my way. I'm okay if you are into Jesus and stuff, but don't force it on me. It's foolish to tell me that not believing in Jesus is a sin. But Jesus says it's the worst. In fact, throughout 
most of his teaching in the New Testament, he calls people to believe in him and he confronts people that don't believe in him. Look what he says. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of saying no to Jesus in our lives. To convict the world around us of their need of Jesus in their lives. And this is where it applies to us. If you are a follower of Jesus, or if you're a part of Pathway Church, we as the church, we as Jesus followers, this is where it applies to us. So I want you to write this down in your outline. The world should see Jesus when they look at the church. The world should see Jesus when they look at the church. The world should see Jesus in us, should see our need for Jesus, our love for Jesus, our passion for Jesus, our worship of Jesus, our dependence on Jesus. I'm convinced of something, that if the early church had not reflected Jesus, if the world could not see Jesus in the early church, the world would have forgotten about Jesus. And I'm thankful that the early believers, the early followers of Jesus were reflecting him in the world that they lived in, even though it was hard. I mean, by now, if they hadn't have been living the life in front of the world, by now Jesus would have become some name in ancient history. We would have forgotten that Jesus ever lived and lived among us, and, and by now his teaching would be considered irrelevant. But immediately following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, followers began telling people around the world about Jesus. Even on the same day that it happened, Peter stood up and he began to tell people what was taking place. Take a look at Acts 2. People of Israel, God publicly endorsed Jesus by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And watch what happens as the Holy Spirit convicts people. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children, to those far away, all who've been called by the Lord our God. Notice this, those who what? Believed. Were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Wow. That's how the church was launched. That's how the church began. And that is how it should continue today. Telling people about Jesus, showing people Jesus, and seeing people get right with God through Jesus. Jesus tells us what the Holy Spirit will do. Keep reading with me. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. Righteousness is not a word that we generally use, right? I mean, that sounds like a real spiritual churchy word. 
This is a word that's really interesting. Again, coming from the Greek, it refers to us being right, to being really right spiritually with God. To, to follow along with a courtroom uh, verbiage, it, it's a judicial approval. Wow. And Jesus says, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you see me no more. You say, wait, what, what is he saying there? Most people say that if there's a heaven, I'm good enough to go there. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that's it's true. Most people think that. Most people say that. I mean, most people believe that when you die, where do you go? Heaven. But what's interesting is that I'm not good enough on my own to make it, but neither are you. The Bible tells us this, that we're not good enough. There's absolutely no rightness, righteousness in any human being that could ever bring a human being into the presence of God on their own. Notice what Paul tells us in Romans. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's standard. So, so all of us are in the same category. All of us fall short except for one human. Jesus, Hebrews says, was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not, what? Sin. Hmm. So, get this. Think about this. Jesus is the only person who ever lived, who ever has the right at the end of their life to go directly on his own into the presence of God. Wow. Wow. I know that's a big thought and it's early, so, you know, let's just get our mind around it for just a moment. That Jesus is good enough to go to heaven on his own. Hmm. Jesus was the only one that was right with God. So Paul continues in Romans 3, God in his grace freely makes us right in his eyes. He did this through Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sins. People are made right, don't miss this, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. God did this to demonstrate his, what? Wait, wait, notice that. Look at this. God did this, did what? He, he gave Jesus as a sacrifice on the cross. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Friends, that's the gospel. If you ever heard that word, the gospel in a church, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the message of Jesus. That when we believe in Jesus, God makes us right in his eyes. Wow. So when Jesus says, righteousness will be given to you, basically, he says, when righteousness will be given, because I'm going away, I'm going to the Father. He's saying, I'm good enough to go to heaven on my own, and guess what? This is going to be given to you if you believe in me. Hmm. Romans 3.22, Paul says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So the only thing that saves us is the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. 
Only Jesus' righteousness allows us to experience God. We're told, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So this is where it applies to us. You ready? Get this down. The world should see a different way of life when they look at us in the church. The world should see a different way of life when they look at us in the church. That's what righteousness is all about. That's what holy lives are all about. That's what God calls us to is a life that is set apart, a life that is different from those that are around us. We're not to be weird. Turn to the person next to you tell them, don't be weird, okay? Just don't be weird. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about different. And the difference is that we are made right with God through Jesus. And he calls us to live a life, guess, guess like who? Like Jesus. He calls us to live like Jesus lived. Wow. They should see a difference in us. The world should be captivated by that difference in us. Jesus tells his followers when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So Jesus tells us what this judgment is. And immediately when we we hear that word judgment, if you're a, a religious kind of person or a churchy kind of person, immediately you begin to think, yeah, it's the judgment that's going to come on sinners, and it's, we're talking about hell. Actually, it's not. I mean, Jesus explains what he's talking about in verse 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So, so who is this ruler that he's talking about, this ruler of the world? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us the ruler of the world is Satan. Look what it says. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That's interesting. All along, Jesus has been talking about they they have a sin in their life. They don't believe in me. And and the only way that they're going to have righteousness, be right with God, is if they believe in me. And Paul is saying, and it's this... God of the world, this ruler of the world, Satan, who blinds people so that they can't believe. And look at what he says. Paul says, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. What's the good news? That that Jesus can make us right with God. They don't understand this message about Christ. We're told that Satan is defeated. This same God of the world, we're told, has been defeated. Take a look. Colossians 2, God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So you see the picture here that something happened on the cross. It wasn't just the death of Jesus. It was the cancellation of sin. That, That Jesus, when he died, he took the charges of our sin on him and it was canceled through his death by nailing it to a cross. Notice this. In this way, Paul says, he, who? Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. But here's the funny thing. We're saying that God is the ruler, or sorry, Satan is the ruler of the world. 
He's the God of this world. But then we're saying that Jesus defeated him on the cross. So I don't follow this because we also say that the, the enemy, Satan, is active and alive in our world. Notice second, uh, 1 Peter 5. Your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he is active in our world. He's like, I like to think, he's like a condemned criminal who has been sentenced to death but he has escaped the police and is now roaming free, wreaking havoc on the earth. And guess what? Sooner or later, he will be caught and dealt with. In us, in Jesus' followers, in the church, the world should see the clash of Satan and Jesus. The world should be aware through our lives that there is a clash between what Satan wants and what Jesus wants. The world should see, listen, that Jesus wins because they see that the power of Satan has been broken in our lives. That's what they should see. Get this down. The world should see that the power of Satan is defeated and the purposes of Jesus are moving forward. The power of Satan is defeated and the purposes of Jesus are moving forward. The world should see people who live by a different standard, a different purpose, people who have hope and joy and love. The world should see people who are no longer tied up or bound up with tension and stress and fears and sin, but people who are free and live that way. This is never seen perfectly in any one of us, and I get that. But the world should see that there is a beginning of this, a, a growing of this, a happening of this in our lives. This is what the world should see when it looks at the church. But it's only when the church lives in a way that the world can see it. When we live just like the world around us, people do not see Jesus in our lives. People do not see the righteousness that Jesus offers us in our lives, the different way of life. People do not see that Satan's power has been defeated and the purposes of Jesus are moving forward. When we live like the world, they don't see it. John 3, Jesus says this. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Right there, that's a good place to, in the church to say yes, amen. Right? I mean, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. If you believe in him, there's no judgment against you. But, Jesus says, anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. For not believing in God's one and only son... And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who did evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those, catch this last line here, those who do what is right come to the light. Wait, let me read that again. Those who do what is right live in the light. Those who do what is right 
live differently so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Wow. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to ask yourself three questions today as we wrap off. Let me give them to you fast, okay? Do people see Jesus in me? Write that one down. Do people see Jesus in me? Let's say it out loud. Do people see Jesus in me? The second one, do people see a different way of life in me? Do people see a different way of life in your life, how you live? And lastly, do people see that Satan is defeated and Jesus is sovereign in my life? Would you bow your heads with me? As followers of Jesus, we are called to this. That people would see Jesus in us, that people would see a different way of life in us, that people would see that Satan is defeated, the power of Satan is defeated, and Jesus is sovereign. The purposes of Jesus are moving forward in my life, in your life. Do people see this in your life? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, do people see this in your life?